Well, good morning, Harvest. It's a privilege and a delight to be with you. And it's also a privilege and a delight to be a part of what God is doing here at Harvest Bible Chapel. My wife and I are from Southern California and we've we've just moved out and it's been quite the adjustment. (laughs) Particularly with respect to the weather. You see, in California, we wear jackets, but we wear jackets to be fashionable. Here, you wear jackets to to stay warm. And I've never had to pay for a suntan before. But, But I do it for the vitamin D. That's what I do it for. My wife doesn't believe me either. And so we are learning how to adjust, and we're learning how to do it, but we are glad to be here. And I was on the internet this week, and I found some great how-to guides that I just couldn't keep to myself. Here's some how-to guides that I saw that I thought you might be interested in. How to care for a goldfish. How to defend yourself from a hedgehog. How to improve a boring game of cricket. And my personal favorite, how to juggle a chainsaw. There are a lot of unnecessary how-to guides, but the past couple weeks we've been learning that the most essential and most important how-to guides, how to worship, how to walk with Christ, how to work for Christ, and today, how to witness for Christ. See, these four W's, worship, walk, work, and witness, are essential to be completely His. To be completely God's, we need these four W's. And so my question today, what we're going to look at is how to witness for Christ. And so here's my question to you is, do you know, do you know how to be a witness for Jesus Christ? And does your neighbor know? Go and ask your neighbor, ask them, do you know how to be a witness for Christ? No, you guys didn't ask your neighbor. I was told the 11 o'clock is more interactive. Ask your neighbor, do you know how to be a witness for Christ? See, I think most of us understand we need to be a witness for Christ. I think most of us want to be a witness for Christ, but we feel ill-equipped. I think most of us desire, we desire to witness for Jesus Christ, but we just don't know how. Well, the Word of God helps us. The Word of God helps us with that. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. As our ushers come forward, we'd be more than happy to get a Bible in your hands. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. And in this passage, Paul had just been dropped off in Athens. And he's sitting in Athens. He's waiting for for, uh, Timothy and Silas. And we see Paul being a witness for Christ. And this passage is basically an example. Paul gives us an example on how to be a witness for Christ. He shows us principles on what it looks like to be a witness. A principle, excuse me, a witness for Christ. And quite easy, simply, Paul gives us a how-to guide. A how-to guide to be a witness for Christ. And the first thing about being a witness for Christ, the first thing we have to understand is our first point this morning. It's we got to seize the opportunity. we got to seize the opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Look at verse 16 of chapter 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... See, Paul was waiting in Athens. He had some time to kill. What would you do if you had some time to kill in Athens? Raise your hand if you go do some sightseeing. How many of you guys are going to go see the sightseeing? How are you guys going to do shopping? Raise your hand if you go shopping. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the food courts. I'm going to get some gyros, gyros, or however it's pronounced. Okay, I'm going to get some of this Greek cuisine. But not Paul. 
See, Paul, he went after it. Paul seized the opportunity. What was it that moved Paul to seize the opportunity? Verse 16 tells us. It says, his spirit was provoked. His spirit was provoked. Well, why was he moved? Well, verse 17 tells us why. Excuse me, verse 16, he was provoked because why? He saw the people as they were, and it provoked him to the point that in verse 17, he went on to what? Reason in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he was busy. He was busy seizing the opportunity. He said, what moves you? Because he saw the people as they were. See, he didn't look at Athens and see it as the birthplace of democracy. He didn't look at Athens and see it as the cradle of civilization. He didn't look at Athens and see it as the the, the point of all culture. Rather, he saw Athens as it was, lost in their sin, full of idols, blinded by Satan, awaiting the judgment of God, in need of a Savior. He saw the people as they were lost in idol worship, needing to hear the words of Christ, needing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important to see things and to see people as they are. I remember hearing a story of a king, a king and a peasant, and they were good, good friends. And the peasant would go and meet with the king, and the, the peasant would always bring the king's favorite snack, raisins. And this went on for years. And, and one, one, one year, the, the peasant came and visited the king, and, and the king said, hey, where are the raisins I love so much? And the peasant said, I'm sorry, your highness, there'll be no more raisins. You see, my, my rabbit died. It's very important to see things as they are. Especially we need to see people as they are, lost in their sins. You see, we go to work every day with teachers. We go to work every day with doctors, with engineers, with customer service workers, with police officers. And we need to see them as they are in need of Jesus. We spend afternoons with stay-at-home moms. We study with other students. We work out with other athletes and we need to see them as they are. Dying in their sin. In need of the eternal life that is found in Jesus. See them as they are awaiting the judgment of God. In need of the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. In bondage to legalism needing the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. We need to see people as they are to seize the opportunity. But you know what else we need to do is we need to connect and we need to make the leap. This is what I mean by that. We need to find a point of connection from life. Find a point of connection from life and then leap into telling them about the gospel. Leap in telling them about Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul did. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopas, said, Men of Athens, watch it now. Here's the connect. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Connection. Verse 23. For as I pass along, I observe the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. Watch it. Here's the leap. This I proclaim to you. And he went in to tell them about Jesus Christ and the gospel and and, and all that we're going to talk about later today. See, we got to connect and we got to leap. And the first thing we've got to understand is that every issue connects to God. Everything in this universe connects to the God of the universe. There's nothing that cannot be connected. There's no topic. There's no issue. There's nothing that God doesn't say something about 
or doesn't want to be worshipped in or worshipped in lack of or reflects his character or his glory or needs to begin reflecting his character and glory. Everything connects to the God of the universe. But you know, I, I don't think connecting is the hard part. I think it's the leaping. I think it's the jumping. We hesitate to make that turn. We hes- Someone says, oh man, man, my, my, my marriage is in trouble. Or, oh man, you know, my, my, uh, I've been thinking about uh, my life and, and life insurance. And we're afraid to turn life insurance. Well, let me tell you about real life insurance. We don't do that. We hesitate. Why? I think we hesitate out of fear. Out of fear of rejection. Out of fear of, of a, a confrontation. Out of fear of what it may do to our reputation. And so we, we hesitate. You know, I remember when I was in college, we went down to Mexico. And we went cliff diving. And I remember climbing up this great, gigantic cliff. And I remember looking over it and thinking, wow, that's scary. And I hesitated. I hesitated. And the longer I hesitated, the longer my friends laughed at me. The longer they taunted me. So eventually, I jumped. And I learned two very, very important lessons. First of all, the four-foot cliff really wasn't that high. (laughs) And second, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And when we share the gospel, the thing we're afraid of is really not that scary. It's especially in, in a free country like America. There's nothing to be afraid of. And second, it's so worth it. It's so worth it to be used by God, to share God, to obey God in giving the gospel to others, to worship God as we witness God. It is so worth it. You see, to seize the opportunity, we've got to see people as they are. We've got to connect, and then we've got to leap. Fourteen years ago, I started dating my wife. And, and anyone couple starts to date, the one thing that's on the guy's mind is what? That first kiss. And I thought about it and I hesitated. Oh, looking for the perfect opportunity. I'd go in. Oh, no, there was something on your ear, you know. (laughs) And if I can go back to myself 14 years ago, this is what I'd tell myself. Steve, first of all, you got to see things as they really are. She's crazy about you. And second, go for it because it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Well, in the same sense, we got to see people as they are. And we got to see that seizing the opportunity is so worth it. It's so worth it to be used by God, to see firsthand people come to faith in Jesus Christ, to see firsthand people come to experience the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, to see firsthand the chains of legalism broken, the bonds of those things, and people experience the freedom in Christ. It's so worth it. And we have this opportunity. And if we don't seize it, we'll miss our chance. We'll miss our chance to be a witness for Christ. And so I want to give you three practical tools that you can take from here so that you can be, so you can seize the opportunity. Here are the three tools. First, you got to see people as they are. See people as they are. Second, understand that everything connects, everything connects to the gospel. Everything connects to God. And third, it's so worth it. It is so worth it to seize the opportunity. So do it. To be a witness for Christ, we've got to seize the opportunity. But to be a witness for Christ, second, we've got to proclaim the gospel. To be, a witness, to be a witness for Christ, we have to proclaim the gospel. This is what Paul did. He, Paul, he did this in verses 23 through 31. And where did Paul start in proclaiming the gospel? He started by proclaiming the truth of God. What does that mean to proclaim the truth of God? 
It means to start with a biblical worldview, absolutely. To start with a biblical worldview and then go from there. Look at verse 24 through 27. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God. Jump down to verse 31. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who is appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So there's Paul. How does he start preaching the gospel? He starts with a biblical worldview and he proclaims there's one God, only one God. And he's made everything. He's created everything we see. He's created everything we know. And this God is sovereign. This God is in control. He's in control of kings. He's in control of nations. He's in control of when the apple tree drops its apple. He's in control of everything. And this God demands our worship. And this God we are going to be held accountable to in the coming judgment. And this God has resurrected Jesus Christ. Now this biblical worldview, this truth that Paul proclaimed flew in the face of the Greeks. Because see, the Greeks denied in one God. The Greeks denied that one, everything was created by one God. They denied that, that one God was in control. They denied that they were going to be accountable for the things they did. And they denied that there was even a resurrection. I would call that a roadblock. That's a roadblock in your witnessing. Would you agree? So what do you do? What do you do when you're sharing your faith and all of a sudden the guy next to you that you're sharing your faith, your friend, your good buddy, your comrade says, I don't believe in that. And there's a roadblock. What do you do? What are some common roadblocks we see today in, in sharing our faith? I, I, I wrote three down. Evolution. You say, hey, God made everything. Steve, I came from a monkey. I said, well, you might be on to something there. No, no. Right? That's evolution. Evolution, we came from monkeys. What's another roadblock? A roadblock is, is atheism. Steve, I, I don't believe. I don't believe in God. That's a roadblock. Another roadblock is maybe relativism. Steve, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And what's good for me may not be good for you. See, it's all relative. These are roadblocks. And so what do you do when you're sharing your faith, you're witnessing to somebody, and you hit a roadblock? What did Paul do? Paul, what did, what did Paul do? He didn't debate with the Greeks. He didn't debate with them. He didn't argue with them. He made a beeline, a beeline straight to the gospel. And he proclaimed the truth of God. He proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. Because Paul understood the power of the gospel. Paul understood the power of God. And when you take those two things together, it's like a nuclear bomb going off in a man's heart. See, Paul went after the man's heart. Paul went after man's heart that was created to worship God. It was created by God to worship God, to know God, that could only be satisfied in God. And so Paul went after the heart because he knew only God could awaken the heart. He knew that only God could change the heart. Think about when you came to know Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? So many years ago or so many weeks ago, however long it was when you first came to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It wasn't because you lost the debate. It wasn't because you lost an argument. It was because the truth of God was proclaimed and the God of the universe worked and he saved you. How many stories 
Have we heard of people denying God, yet God intervenes in their life, grips them and saves them and makes them alive in Jesus? You see, the truth of God is like the hammer that breaks the hard heart. And the Holy Spirit is the fire that melts that heart. When God works, nothing can stop it. You see, you don't need to know the seven cosmological arguments for the existence of God. You don't even have to pronounce that. You don't need to know the second law of thermodynamics, all the other scientific theories that, that, that dispute evolution. You don't need to know the philosophical arguments that, 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 that do away with relativism. All you need to know is this. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to proclaim and stand back and watch God work. The gospel has power. So proclaim it. Proclaim the truth of God. To proclaim the gospel, we have to proclaim the truth of God. To proclaim the gospel, we have to proclaim the truth of God. But we also got to proclaim sin. We got to proclaim the truth of sin and idolatry. Look at verse 24 through 27. He goes on to say in verse 24, God doesn't live in temples made by man. Verse 25, he says, nor is he served by human hands. And in verse 29, he goes on to say, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or stone or silver an image formed by the art of imagination of man. Paul was basically saying all your efforts, all these, see this temple that you guys have been worshiping in? Total fail. All your efforts, see all the service you think you've been making you right with God? Total fail. Your worship, you're worshiping these images? Total fail. All your efforts, everything you've been doing, you think you're right with God? Beloved, you're not, Paul said. Total fail. You think you're right with God and you're not. And nothing has changed. We still think, man still thinks he's right with God by his efforts. In fact, what are some ways today which people think they're right with God when they're not? I thought I'd share some with you. Three common ways in which people think they're right with God when they're not. Baptism and church membership. They say, well, I was baptized and I'm a member of the church. And thus I'm right with God. Wrong. Church membership doesn't address your sin. What's another way that people think they're right with God? They say, I'm a good person. I try my hardest. I do good works. Your good works aren't good enough. And your good works don't make up for that sin. Don't make up for sin. What's another way people think they're right with God? Well, they say, well, so many years ago, I prayed a prayer. And they looked at that prayer, not to Jesus to save them. And the prayer is only good when it's a reflection of the heart. When you look to that prayer, you're not right with God. It's Jesus that makes you right. See, we've been created to worship God, and we've been using our own efforts to to get right with Him. We've been using our own efforts to please God, and it doesn't work that way. In fact, we're making things worse. How many of you guys ever try and please somebody and made it worse? I do that a lot. Okay, I'm always trying to please people, and I'm always messing things up. I remember one time back in uh, California where I I saw an elderly lady, my next-door neighbor, and she had a trash can out. I saw her taking her trash can back in. I said, what is this girl doing? Elderly lady, she's taking in the trash by herself. Doesn't she have grandkids? Isn't that what grandkids are for, to take your trash in for you? That's what I always had to do. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go be nice to this, this lady, and I'm going to take her trash in for her next week. And so I timed it just right. I said, you know, okay, I woke up in the morning. I'm going to go, go take her trash in. So I took her trash in for you, and just as I got to the back of her house, the trash man drove by. <laughs> See, my efforts wasn't pleasing anybody. Okay, and, and so many times we have made a mess of our own life because we're trying to do it on our own. And it's Jesus Christ. 
It's him who does it. And we need him, not ourselves. The only thing we bring to salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Doing it in our own self, total fail. And Paul goes on to say in verse 27, he says, you've been created to worship God. See, man at the heart of things has been created to worship God. In 27, that word seek there just basically conveys worship. Paul says, Greeks, Athenians, you've been made to worship God. And he goes on to say in verse 29, but all your worship is idolatry. It's a fail. It's a total fail. And he goes on to say in verse 30, now there's a judgment coming. You see, you've been created to worship God. But instead of worshiping the true God, you've been worshiping idols. And because of this idolatry, now there's a judgment coming. And 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. 2,000 years later, man is still created to worship God. Man is still worshiping idols, and there is a judgment still coming. In fact, what, is, what are some modern-day idols that we worship? What are some modern-day idols we worship? Here's, here's five. Riches and wealth. Drunkenness and drugs. Immorality and lust. Health and strength, or in my case, the lack of. Family and self, these can all be idols. These are all idols of, of, of the heart that men and women worship. And instead of worshiping the true God, we go after these things. And we need to proclaim the truth of sin and idolatry. Do you remember when you first got saved? So many years ago, or so many weeks ago, however long ago it was, do you remember? Do you remember the weight of your sin? Do you remember how it, it brought you to your knees and how, how you just felt it on your back? And how it drove you It drove you to the Savior. It drove you to see your need for a Savior so that you would call out, God, I'm done with myself. There's nothing I can do. I need you. Do you remember that? That's why we need to proclaim it. Our daughter, Emily, we we only discipline our children for sin issues. And so if our kids spill the milk, they spill the milk. But if they tell a lie or they hit their sister or they do some other type of sin, we, we, we address that. We discipline it. And we call it for what it is. We say, sin. This is sin. Emily, you've sinned. And because of sin, there's a punishment coming, an eternal punishment. And Emily, boy, do you need a Savior because of the sin. You're in trouble. There's a judgment coming. You need a Savior. And I remember when Emily was three years old. I'm sitting there talking to her, and all of a sudden, a tear started coming down her face. And she started to cry. I'm like, why is she crying? She never cried before. And all of a sudden, she says, Daddy... I need Jesus. I need Jesus. See, she understood her sin. She understood her need for a Savior, and it drove her to Jesus. It drove her to call out, I need Jesus. We need to proclaim sin, and to skip the proclamation of sin is to skip the reason why Christ died. I know it may be awkward to tell your friend, hey, you're an idolater, you're in trouble, but you know what? It's the necessary ingredient that God uses to prepare the heart to hear about the Savior. And when one realizes their need for a Savior, they're ready to hear. They're ready to hear about Jesus Christ and they're ready to receive their Savior. Which, to proclaim the gospel, we've got to proclaim the truth of God. We've got to proclaim the truth of sin. And above all else, we have to proclaim Jesus Christ and His resurrection. We have to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. This is exactly what what the Apostle Paul did. In fact, in verse 18, turn to verse 18, at the very end of it, we see Paul's summary 
what Paul's ministry was all about. When they thought Paul, this is what they thought about. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. The center of Paul's preaching. The center of Paul's witness. The centerpiece of Paul's uh, life was Jesus Christ and his resurrection. What's the centerpiece of your life? What's the centerpiece of your witness? Because we all have a witness, whether we know it or not. So what's the centerpiece of it? It needs to be Jesus Christ. Not to proclaim Jesus Christ and his resurrection is to have thanksgiving without the thanks. It's to have Christmas without the Christ or the Dairy Queen without the dairy. It's to have the 4th of July without the 4th or football without the ball. See, if we miss Jesus, we got nothing. Got nothing. Yeah, I remember when I was a, a little boy, my mom gave me $100 for my birthday. And when you're a little boy, you got $100 and you have a big brother, one thing comes to mind. He's going to take my $100. It's okay. I'm, I'm a very, very uh, wherewithal kid. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the catalogs and I'll find a safe. I want to protect this $100. I want to protect this $100. I thought, now I need to get a safe. So I went to the catalog and I thought, well, I have $100 to buy a safe with. You ever totally miss the point? You just, I mean, what do I need a $100 safe if I'm going to spend my $100 for? I won't have $100. So let's not miss the point. Let's not miss the point in our witness. The point is Jesus Christ. Why is it so important that Jesus Christ be at the heart of our ministry, at the heart of our life, at the heart of our families, at the heart of everything? Why is it so important? You go ahead and ask me why. Well, that's a really good question. Okay. Verse 31 tells us why. Look at verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who is he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, there's a judgment coming. And every single one of us has an eternal destination. And all of it centers on Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It all centers on Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Lord of all. The resurrection proves that eternal life is found in Jesus. The resurrection proves that no one is exempt from the authority of Jesus. It proves that salvation is found in nobody else but Jesus. It proves that true worship begins in Jesus. It proves that Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy the human heart and all its desires. It proves that Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. It proves that Jesus can heal your broken heart. Jesus Christ is everything. So we need to preach Jesus above all else. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ. To proclaim the gospel, we got to proclaim the truth of God. we got to proclaim the truth of sin and idolatry. we definitely got to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, 20 years ago, I was a staunch Catholic. I prayed to the Virgin Mary, and I confessed my sins, hoping that somehow, maybe, I could be good enough to be saved. And I, and I, and I, and I was staunch. I was staunch. And then there was some other person that I knew, grew up with. He was a believer. He was a born-again Christian. And he came and he began to witness to me. And he didn't argue with me about anything. He just proclaimed the truth of God. He proclaimed that there was a true God and that I've been worshiping a false idol. And he proclaimed sin. And he proclaimed that I'm going to stand before God on Judgment Day. And all of a sudden, my heart began to melt. 
And as the weight of my sin brought me to my knees, it began to proclaim to me about Jesus Christ and the life that he gives. And that weight of sin that's on my shoulders, he told me Jesus Christ takes that sin and he took it and he died on the cross and he rose so that you may have life. And that was like water to a thirsty soul. And I called out to Jesus as my friend proclaimed to me the gospel. Do you remember that? Who was it who proclaimed the gospel to you? Who was it who proclaimed the truth of God in your life? Who was it who proclaimed the truth of your sin? And who was it who proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ and the life he gives? Well, now's your opportunity. Now's your opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Now's your opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to stand with the Apostle Paul stand with us and to stand with 2,000 years of church history and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Now is our opportunity. So I want to give you some tools, three tools for you to proclaim the gospel. Three tools you can take away so you can proclaim the gospel and be a witness for Christ. The first one, here you go. You don't need to know all the answers, okay? You don't need to know all the answers. All you need to know is the gospel. Is the second tool. Address sin. Address sin. Let people see their need for a Savior. And third, above all else, proclaim Jesus and the life he gives. Proclaim Jesus and the life he gives. See, to be a witness for Christ, we have to seize the opportunity. To be a witness for Christ, we have to proclaim the gospel. And to be a witness for Christ, we have to call people to repent and trust the Lord with results. That's our third point, okay? Is we have to call people to repent and then trust the Lord with the results. What do I mean by that? Is we need to show people how to be saved. We actually need to draw people, call people and say, be saved and show them how it's done. Don't just give them the facts, but show them what to do with those facts, Right? And then you trust the Lord with the results. Trust the Lord with the results. And this is exactly what Paul did. Look at, verse, look at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, Paul made it clear. There was no question in hearing that, what does God command me to do? What does God require me to do? What's it say? What's that? Repent. Paul made it clear. We need to make it clear. We need to make it clear how people are to be saved. Right? We need to show people how to be saved. We need to be able to lead them to Christ. So here's my question. Do you know how to lead someone to the Lord? Ask your neighbor, do you know how to lead someone to the Lord? This is a vital, 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 vital ingredient. Do you know how to lead someone to the Lord? I remember in another life, I was a police officer. And I remember when I was in the police academy, I had a friend of mine, Deputy Chatwin, he was, he was going to go be a, a deputy sheriff. And he, he got out of the academy, he went on patrol. And as, as a rookie deputy, the only thing that uh, is more gung-ho than a rookie deputy is what we call a reserve deputy. And the only thing that's more untrained than a rookie deputy is a reserve deputy. And they thought it'd be great to put these two together. So there's Laurel and Hardy 
or the deputy uh, rookie and the reserve officer. And the reserve officer was really, really gung-ho. They were on patrol, and they saw some kids over there. And, and the, uh, uh, the, the reserve says, I think they're smoking marijuana. I think they're smoking marijuana. And calm, cool, collected deputy Chatwin, the rookie, says, calm down. First of all, do you even know what marijuana looks like or smells like? And the reserve officer put his head down. The reserve deputy officer put his head down and said, no, no, I don't. And James Chatwin said, okay. Neither do I. So, you know, needless to say, no one got arrested that day because neither one of them knew what they were doing. We don't want to be like that, okay? We want to know how to lead someone to Christ. We want to know what we're doing. So I want to give you a big tool, a huge tool, a tool that's going to help you with that. Okay, it's called the Romans Road. We're going to walk through the Romans Road. This is exactly what you do. You're sharing your faith with somebody. This is what you do. You say, hey, here's my Bible. I want to, I want to show you something here in the Word of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. You guys turn with me now. Romans chapter 3. And you just show them. You say, look, I just got to share this with you, man. This is great. Look at this. None is righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 10. No one is righteous. No, not one. Ask, what do you, what do you think that means? Is there anyone righteous? No, no, not one. Is there, I mean, maybe some, no, none. Okay, none, no one. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Any questions on that? No, good. Well, jump down to uh, verse 23. Look at this. For all have sinned. All, that means you, and it means me, that means you. You sinned, I sinned. Any questions? I mean, all. There's anyone not included in the all? All is all. All means all, all means all. That's all, all means, right? You and me, we all sinned. Okay. And fall short of the glory of God. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Who's a sinner? You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And then you jump down to verse 23 of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 23. i got to share this with you, man. This is like, this is awesome. Look at this. Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Wait a second. We said you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You, specifically, you said you yourself, you're the sinner, right? You're, the wages of sin is death. So what's coming towards you? What, what's the wage? A wage is something we what? We earn. So this is coming. Wages of sin is death. Oh, man. You feel the weight of that? Okay, but, but i got some good news for you. i got to share this with you. But... But the free gift, what's a free gift? Free gift is free. Gift is given. You don't earn it, right? The free gift of God is, wow, what's that? Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You get that? See, you earned death. You earned punishment. But God is offering you something today. It's a free gift and it's eternal life and it's found in Jesus Christ. And you say, I got to eat one more. What? Actually, two more. One more. Come on. Romans 10. Let's keep going. Keep, keep going. Romans 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth, and, and that's simply a reflection of the heart, if, you're, if this is the, the attitude of your heart, the confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you make him the Lord of your life, you make him the king of your life, you give him it all, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then you take him to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and you say, look at this. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You give them the truth of God. And I always like to really bring it down and make it crystal clear for them. Here's what you need to do right now. You got to, I like to add in the, the ABCs of salvation. You got to A, admit you're a sinner. A, acknowledge your sins. I'm a sinner right now, right here. You've read the truth of God's word. Now admit you're a sinner. And then you got to now believe on Jesus Christ. B, B is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sin, that he paid that penalty, and he rose from the grave from your, for, etern- for your eternal life and for your justification. 
And then C, C is for confess. Confess him as Lord, a reflection of the heart. You make him the Lord of your life. You give him all. Lord, have all of me. A, B, C it. You call them to repent. And I can't talk about calling people to repent. Can't call about people to, to say, this is what you must do to be saved. Because I know there's people in this room who haven't been saved. You've been coming or you, you, you thought you were. So I want to ask you a personal question. Is this a reality in your life? Have you ever admitted you're a sinner? Admit you're a sinner today. And B, believe on Christ today. Believe that he paid for your sins. Believe that he died for your sins and that he rose from the grave. And C, confess him as Lord. Make him the Lord of your life. Make him the Lord of your life. So that's where eternal life is found is in Christ. Do it today because as verse 30 says, the times of ignorance has passed, but God is now calling you to acknowledge your sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess him as Lord. See, to be a, to, to call, we've got to call people to repent. But you know what else we've got to do? Is we have to trust the Lord with the result. We have to trust the Lord with the result. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. Look at verse 33. Paul trusted the Lord with the result. So Paul went out from their midst. See, Paul was there in Athens. He seized the opportunity. He connected and he leaped. And, and then he proclaimed the truth of the gospel. He proclaimed the truth of God. And he proclaimed the truth of sin. And he proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ. And then he called them to repent. And he took a walk. Why? Because he was trusting in the Lord of the harvest for the result. And we need to trust the Lord with the results. What was the result here? Verse 32, verse 34 tells us. Now when they heard of the resurrection, some of, of the dead, some mocked. There was one result. Some mocked, but others said, we'll hear about this again. Some delayed. So Paul went out from their midst in verse 34. Some men joined him and believed. See, some believed. We don't know how people will respond. We certainly don't know who will respond. But God does. In fact, he knows them by name. He knows them by name. Look at verse 34. Dionysus. And then he goes on in a woman named Amarius. See, God knows them by name. God knows what he's doing. God's in control of it. We just need to trust him with the results. I remember hearing a story about Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel became a Christian. And he went back to where he used to work. And he went to go witness to his old friends. And he said, I got I to gotta share. Man, almost I can see him out of breath running up the elevator. You know, said, I got to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he's telling people about Jesus Christ. He's, telling, he's standing across a desk and he's talking to an old friend of his. And there's this big desk between him and, the, him and his buddy. And he's saying, listen, man, you got you to admit you're a sinner. You got to believe on Jesus Christ. You got to confess him as Lord because Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. And his friend's looking at Lee and he's like, that's great, Lee. Who cares? So Lee Strobel kind of put his head down. It's okay. He went. Fifteen years later, some man that Lee Strobel never knew, never met, walked up to Lee. Said, Lee Strobel, you never met me. You never, you never, you never saw me. You don't know who I am, but I want you to know some fifteen years ago, I was fixing tile underneath a desk where you were proclaiming Jesus Christ to your friend, where you were being a witness. And on my knees at that desk, I heard the gospel and I admitted I was a sinner and I believed on Jesus Christ and I confessed him as Lord. See, we don't know what's God doing, but we do know this, he's at work. We don't know what God is doing, but we know this, he will be glorified. 
We don't know what God is doing, but we know this. God is mighty to save. Our God is a God of salvation, and he will be glorified. Just trust him with the results. Our God, who will be glorified in everything, asks you just to do one thing. Be a witness. Just be a witness. Let him worry about the results. Trust the Lord with the results. And so we've seen how to be a witness today. We've seen you got to seize the opportunity. We've seen you got to proclaim the gospel. And you got to call people to repent and then trust the Lord with the results. You know, I stand here today, right here, preaching to you the, the truth of, of how to be a witness, pre- preaching to you the, the, the content of the gospel. I stand here today because 20 years ago, 20 years ago, Nathan Dunn, Nathan Dunn seized the opportunity in my life. And he proclaimed the gospel to me. And he called me to repent. And then he trusted the Lord with the results. And God worked in me. God was glorified in that. My question to you is who's going to stand here in 20 years from now? Who will stand here in 20 years from now and say how you seize the opportunity in their life? And how you proclaim the gospel to them? And how you called them to repent while you trusted the Lord in the repentance? Excuse me, trust the Lord with the results. Who will stand here and say how you were a witness for Jesus Christ? Who will stand there and say it? Earlier I asked for you to think about those people you work with, those people you spend time with during the day, those people you study with or you work out with. I want you to write that person's name down on your notes. Who will be the person that God has put in your mind for you to be a witness? And so you got to go now to that person. Seize the opportunity. God has given you the opportunity. Go to that person and proclaim the gospel to them and call them to repent. And then trust the Lord with the results. Go and be a witness for Christ. Because you now know how. Let's pray.